the value of life cut short by suicide. We cannot calculate the impact a person might have had on the world around them or on the people whose lives they may have touched. But through a partnership between survivors, business and community leaders, scientists and dedicated individuals, we can vanish this needless tragedy. Suicide shouldn't be a secret. And these are from the South African Depression and Anxiety Group. A recent report by the South African Depression and Anxiety Group found that 9% of all teen deaths are due to suicide, and this figure is on the increase. Statistics show that suicide is the second most common cause of death in people aged 15 to 29, but some children as young as six have been deemed suicidal. And it gives me great pleasure to introduce Kate Chen, and it's always difficult uh, introducing people I know because I would call uh, Kate an old colleague and friend, but the word old might be seen as disrespectful. But first and foremost, Kate is the mother of four beautiful children. And after the suicide of her son in 2011, she started writing as a lifeline. Her words became a book and in 2013, Boy was published. Kate has completed a creative grief co uh, coaching course and facilitates workshops on grief, loss, creativity and transformation. In her spare time she paints and plays with clay and often done with children. Kate, welcome. Thank you Luke. So Kate, the, the one thing that has always struck me when I did my, my honours paper on suicide from a sort of a religious perspective is this idea that people who kill themselves want to die. And the, the thing I always thought was that the framing of it was that maybe they are too sensitive to live in this world and that it is a world that causes too much pain from which they want rest. Does that hold any weight? Yes, I, I think it does. And I would add that in all my reading and conversations, I, I think it's more that they want to escape the pain, not that they want to die. So they say that suicide is a permanent solution to perhaps um, a temporary problem. Of course, that doesn't hold necessarily for people with severe uh, mental illness. And I think for me, the, the, the biggest thing that I have a challenge with, because I've had a few cl close suicides as well. In fact, I had one two years ago. And the difficulty with people processing it and I mean, I think a quote I remember said something to the effect of the dead shall live and the living die. So that there's a level at which something dies in the people who are left behind. And how that person who has um, had a successful suicide, how they live on in our hearts and minds becomes quite complex because there's anger, there's sadness, there's grief. And all of these things are wound up in some way with could I've done more. And what could I have done? What and what did I miss? Um, I, yeah, what you've just said reminds me of uh, an, an article I wrote many years ago about missing the signs or the signs missed. You know, were the signs there? How do you even how are you even able to recognise the signs? Or you know, weren't there any signs? Because it's just it is. I think after a suicide, those who are left behind spend an inordinate amount of time um, processing what happened, the steps leading up to what happened, and uh, what did I miss? And if I hadn't missed it, would they still be here? And I think that, I mean, I think I started my, my paper that I wrote with, uh, with a quote from Camus 
that said that there is one only true philosophical question, and that is the one of suicide. And there's a, there's a level at which he was talking more about sort of philosophical suicide and not sort of engaging in the absurdity of human existence, which is a totally different debate. But it does seem that there's a complex question to be answered around teen and child suicide where we see children on simplistic levels disappearing into machines. So in other words, it's almost like they disengage from us and the world, even though they're still with us in body. And they disappear into the online world, which we berate them for all the time. And then in very severe circumstances, obviously, they take their lives and leave the world permanently. So for me, the, the, the sadness of that that I sit with, or the mourning for me, is the fact that somehow we've handed them a world that they can't digest. Exactly. And, and what comes to mind is this big disconnect or lack of connection. Um, and I, I, I think when a child starts going um, down a path of disconnecting, uh, yeah, it, um, the, if we're looking for signs... Um, that would be, that would be a big one. Uh, anything that's going to distract them from from the pain and the discomfort that they're feeling. Now, speaking to to my oldest daughter um, a few days ago, because I was listening to a podcast called Therapy for the Heart, and it happened to be about um, the episode was about suicide and self harm amongst teenagers. And he, he was speaking about quite extensive research that's been done in the States and the UK um, with adolescents. And um, obviously not completed suicides, but um, suicide attempts and self-harm. And just about all the respondents said that they, um, there was nobody to listen. There was nobody who heard them. But also they didn't have the words, they weren't able to describe how they were feeling. So that thing about nobody heard them <coughs> is, is interesting because they weren't able to speak it mm. either. And Lance said, yes, my daughter, I've always been um, saying that. There isn't uh, literacy. I mean, mm. you're talking about thinking about it 100%. and talking about it. Young people don't have... Um, the language they haven't been schooled or taught or or become literate in mental health issues they don't have the words to describe how they're feeling when they're not feeling okay mm. and or to feel safe even mm. if they m have the words there's no safe space for those words to land because n not just parents it's not just parents psychologists i mean in, in therapy for the heart he also said none of us know how to how to, what to do when a young person tells us they don't want to live anymore. Mm. It's, a, it's a very um, challenging, uh, on so many levels, thing to have to face. And so I think we all need schooling in mm. it, not just, not just the young people to be able to, to express how they're feeling. Uh, and uh, that makes me also think about um, schools. Mm. Uh, and what happens at schools and what happens after a suicide at a school where nobody wants to talk about it. There seems to be a huge fear around mentioning the word suicide and even working with young people around it. It all has to be kind of uh, cloaked with depression or mm. sadness mm. because of this fear of 
um, copycides, suicides. Mm. And I mean, sometimes I wonder if it's not just the fear of the adults um, having, you know, if you bring it up, what happens when somebody Mm. says to you, I want to die, I don't want to live anymore. So let's rather not have that conversation because it's too difficult to have. And then somehow you're responsible as an adult once you've heard a child say that what you know, what do you what, what do, do you, you do and our mm-hmm. mental health services are so stretched and where where does where does this go where but does that pain go it's not something that you can fix mm-hmm. and I want yeah so th- in my mind sorry I was just linking that to how um, and it's just a kind these are just thoughts. Mm. I mean, I don't, True. maybe it's better not to talk about, I don't know. I'm, I'm <laughs> not a person who goes into schools and talks about suicide. Sure. But we weren't allowed to, um, many years back, talk about uh, pregnancy mm. and sex education 100%. because then everybody's going to become Genital. pregnant. Well, we're still failing at that. So, mm. yes. Mm. Yeah. So suicide might just be uh, a bridge too far. But I do wonder what those kind of conversations would look like. And I do wonder um, if they're properly held and, and properly facilitated, mm. what the potential outcomes of them could be and why there is such um, anxiety and fear ar- around talking to young people about suicide. It's so, so interesting. Oh, sorry, Luke, I'm being so rude. No, no. So, so two, two things I want to pick up on. Sorry, thought. The, the two things is... Adolescence is almost a perfect storm for risk for suicide. I mean, so you talk about two things. The one is disconnect. And there is a level at which it's normal for young people to, well, adolescents and pubescents, to disconnect from their their parents. And, I mean, we we sort of almost joke about it at times and talk about moody teenagers or full of hormones. And you wake up with a stranger in your house one day who barely grunts at you when you walk past their room. So there's that level at which it's a normal developmental phase to disconnect and connect elsewhere. And it's maybe the lack of connection elsewhere that needs to be looked at. So what are you disconnecting from and to? And then I think the one for me that is that is also significant is the the fact that the developing adolescent brain is likened to sort of the equivalent of giving an unlicensed driver a Ferrari with no brakes. You know, you kind of add alcohol, marijuana or something else to that. You know, now it's got nitrous and turbo. And the likelihood of them harming themselves even by accident while is, is also high. So for me, the, the thing when I ask young people, like I've had a number over this coming out of um, lockdown, you know, self-harming and suicidal and addicted and all these kind of things. And when you ask them why or what, or you ask these questions of attempts at insight, they really struggle. So they will shrug their shoulders and say, don't know, you know. And I always challenge them by saying two things. Well, you know, that is probably true maybe a third of the time. The other reasons that, that you, you may not be able to tell me is you don't think you can trust any of us. Because there's something about the teenager that doesn't believe an adult can hear what they are saying. And what you're saying about the schools is that adults only want to talk about it, which is my third point, that there is no script for this. There is no script for digesting and translating the fact that I feel so ill at ease with this world that the idea of me not being in it is easier than the idea of being in it. And that, that's tragic that you don't have a way of digesting that. And we all as adults need to take responsibility mm-hmm. for that because um, we're all contributing 
in some shape or form to that sense of um, dis-ease. Uh, I, I spoke to a psychiatrist once and he said two things need to be in place for a suicide depression and, and impulsivity and I was mm. like okay well that's a teenager mm. I mean it really it, 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 it is just as you say a, a perfect storm um, and if they've worked out I mean I think you need three things because you need the means to do it sure. but uh, um, yeah Kate, um, there was something, a few things that I picked up on. So the first one is you mentioned about language and words, that we are not giving our children the language and the words. And um, there is a podcast that we've got which um, is coming up called The Gender Unicorn. And Caleb, who's transgender, used exactly the same thing and said that he was never given the words to explain the way in which he was feeling. So as adults, perhaps that's something we really need to visit, and specifically with schools, because there are partners in this, is is the, the language and the words to describe how they're feeling in whatever context that is. And most importantly, that we are going to listen and, and take on board that which they're saying. The, the other thing is around schools, and you spoke about, they'll, they'll talk about, well, they won't sometimes talk about pregnancy, and they won't talk about suicide, and they're scared they're going to it, it's going to perpetuate the problem that you're going to fall pregnant or or you're going to commit suicide, and yet they have drug people in all the time talking about drugs. So there doesn't seem to be the same attitude that if you have someone coming in to talk about drugs that that the same is going to happen. So that that really is a conversation that we need to have and a very honest conversation. And the third one is 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 really for both of you because. If you have a teenager who's crying out for help, who, who maybe isn't using the languaging that, that we know, but is, is cutting, or um, Luke, what is the other term that you use? Self-mutilation. Not, not self-mutilation. self-mutilation. You said you cut, yeah. or, um, which is very, very serious, or you just… We've got what you call sort of the attention seekers, where yeah. what they do is they mimic the cutter to try and send a message. So they're communicating through the behavior. And I saw that a lot. That's the, what you call the copy site. So there's copy mm. copy cutters as well. And they they look very different. So like you've got Paris suicides and suicides. Mm. It's a similar similar so concept. If we, if we can stop and listen and we think that a child is in trouble, where do we go and who do we turn to? Well, uh, uh, with all things in this country, we operate in two different spaces. Very different There's spaces. Formal medical aid spaces and informal state spaces. Um, I get probably, bec- you know, well, I'm sure because I wrote Boy, I get um, a lot of uh, parents making contact with me. Um, and in, in fact, Luke, I, I mean, you just said post-COVID, you've seen a lot. There's been, I mean... A week doesn't go past where I don't get some parent phoning me. So sometimes I I try and direct them to Luke, Mm -hmm. depending on the the situation. Um, But I do, and again, as I say, these two spaces we operate in. But I, I I hear it now and I just say, get a psychiatric evaluation, please. Just make that your starting point. Medicine, I mean, if, 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 uh, I'm, it's been over 10 years since my son died, but I, if if I knew now what, I mean, if I knew then what I know now, uh, I was like a little bit 
psychiatrists were not um that's not was not my approach not my go-to place uh but some good medicine um can often help not with everybody and it's not going to solve every situation um but to get a proper psychiatric evaluation if you can mm. um and then and not to give up you know my my son went to a psychologist it didn't it didn't work he didn't speak he didn't communicate and so that was that i didn't really understand well i don't need to give up on finding a person he can trust and talk to keep looking until you find the right person so that's the other thing i say mm. just keep looking mm. and then um I, i have goosebumps because i found myself the other day like my I, i'm on a journey towards becoming an art therapist hopefully i'll be starting my masters next year and why i mean i thought i was on the journey because art helped me so much in my grieving and to come to terms with what happened but actually i think i might be becoming an art therapist because uh if if one thing could have helped my son it would have been an art therapist mm. um he didn't work well with words as a lot of teenagers don't we're talking about words we're talking about thinking but but i want to say that art is often um a, a way in and um well not just art therapy drama therapy mm. art therapy and music therapy music it's wonderful therapy. to see those programs evolving and made more accessible to incredible healers um that they can do music therapy or drama therapy or art therapy and i completely agree with you in terms of finding the right person um through personal experience i went through five psychologists before i found the right one but as an adult i was able to say thank you very much not for me and move on to the next one very much more difficult once again we get back to languaging and words to say mom great person but mm, didn't really resonate with me and and i think that's so important is that the first or the second or the third person may not be the right person it might be the fourth or the fifth and and keep looking until you you find the person that really resonates with you yeah and um and if you don't have the opportunities to keep looking and and finding there 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 are spaces all over the city um including in the CMI building there's uh, Lafika there's fight with insight um the JP triple C mm. uh and I was just thinking the thing that the arts therapies um provide as well are groups so mm-hmm. that that um opportunity to be able to get to a lot more children and develop peer support and um yeah and I think that the the thing around sort of moving forward around these conversations is for me there's a few themes have emerged so you talk about disconnection as being a theme so if you look at the latest theory around substance abuse the latest theory around substance abuse is the fact that people abuse substances because they lack connection and all the self medication stuff people who feel they don't have a place in the world lack connection our children are disappearing getting addicted in machines they lack connection and maybe the the conversations are around what has disconnected our children from us what what if we lost connection with and almost attempt to say to the to the young people what is your behavior trying to tell me what what am i missing now again there are certain instances of suicides where 
you will get a note or no note on the door and there was no sign whatsoever and I mean we, we do need to recognize those exist but for for the young people who are trying to process it what are you trying to tell me what what is the message rather than this kind of focus on this terminal I mean we'll do a little bit of psychoanalytic wording here now that rather than focusing on a terminal object which is that permanent solution to a temporary problem can, can there not be a way where we can generate thought around what we are missing in this lack of connection that our young people are clearly communicating to us that we currently are struggling with that's such a um, big amount a topic isn't even the right word it's mm. just uh, this vacuum that we I mean I don't even know if it's just young people we 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 all I mean I I sometimes just I'm not going to watch another stop another Netflix series because I'm also going to go down like um, I think technology has just pre- 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 presented us with enormous challenges mm. and opportunities to escape in ways that do seem um, on the surface uh, unharmful but yes the um, and, uh, and parents I'm, I'm just we're not equipped I mean we we parents uh, to necessarily think about you know we just we're fearful we're reactive we um, you know Pull yourself we stress together, we stress, we're busy, we're working. What have you got to worry about? Your life yeah. is perfect. I've given you everything. Get on mm. with it. Mm. And I mean, to actually think through what might be might be happening and what messages um, might be, you know, that our teenagers or our children might be trying to tell us something mm. um, and that we can just stop for a moment and, and try and think through what that might be. It's, it's almost like we need parenting support groups as well, not just um, for young people to help, just to support the parents to to think and understand what's going on. And there's an art to listening to behavior mm. that people don't don't get. And I think, you know, the, the importance of listening to behavior for me has become quite important. And, I mean, I've had some very interesting clients, you know, quite a lot of sort of late late teens, early 20s, you know, they're kind of what's now been called emerging adulthood. And I think, you know, that developmental phase is frankly terrifying. I mean, I, I mean, both of my daughters are in that phase. And I think it's terrifying for young people. And I don't think we, we acknowledge that. And as we have sort of handed at the moment our, our children a world of, oh, by the way, don't go out because you're the people who go to rages and come back and infect us all. And if your parents and grandparents are sick, you're going to kill them. Oh, yeah, and by the way, you know, uh, we have a political uprising in our country, in the city that you're living in. And oh, by the way, that's a bit terrifying. Uh, and by the way, you know, when that's settling down, we'll just tell you about COP20, whatever it is this year. Climate and the, change, yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and that what's going to happen is by 2050, the world's going to be flooded and on fire. I mean, we're not handing them a world that is, it, is, is a place that, that you would want to necessarily engage in any kind of coherent way with. And the biggest thing, I think, and this is sort of going back and sort of my final thought of the, the conversation is that the only way I've been able to process a lot of this stuff with these young people is through sort of almost an existential, absurdist way of trying to frame the world. And to, you know, to sort of go back to the Sisyphus um, 
metaphor. You know, Camus will tell you the only solution to this is to imagine Sisyphus happy. And the, the difficulty with that is that it's about describing your own meaning to the world. And I don't think we give our young people enough of an opportunity to do that because they've got to fit into some hole if you have to get this education, if you don't get this education, you're not going to get to this fast. If you don't get to this fast, you're not going to get this job. And if you don't get that job, then your life's going to be a disaster. And I, I think that we have erred quite severely around our attribution of what is meaningful to our children. And I, I don't know, just the way you were talking, I was, um, to make it more personal again, I was just thinking about um, grief and uh, m finding meaning. And I, actually, after my son died, we, we often, um, my children and their father would say, uh, you know, look at he, just, this must be how he was feeling. Um, but that isn't how I wanted to respond to what you were saying. So I've gone off on a... And that's it's just quite all right. What, <laughs> that's what exactly what you were meant to say. Me, but this thing about finding meaning um, is, and help, yes, I, we can't solve the problems. We ca oh, it was your absurd... You, the yes, absurdity yes. of... Um, I, I, I just... Yeah, I... I think that if we, that is the only way to make sense of it. It is absurd. There are things that are so out of our control that are happening at the moment. But if we can in our day-to-day -day lives, not just find purpose, but actually find meaning. Um, and that can come in, uh, who knows what, what shape or form. It's not something about, about that straight path towards success. It's something much deeper than that. If we can support young people, um, to help them find what might give them a sense of meaning in this absurd world, then, uh, well, I think everything else would fall into place. So just in closing, and I think for me it's important to, we touched on it briefly, but to go back to it in terms of finding help and looking for help. So the South African Depression and Anxiety Group, that's a great place to start. Um, we spoke about the Johannesburg Parent and Child Counseling Center. School psychologists and school counsellors are doing phenomenal work, sadly, and we spoke about the two very different worlds. They're not available in all worlds, but in a lot of worlds in Johannesburg specifically where there isn't a full-time counsellor or educational psychologist, the Johannesburg Parent and Child Counselling Centre do have counsellors. We have incredible places like Lafika, where, as you said, you can do art therapy and I think drama therapy and music therapy now. So Lafika is really offering invaluable services. Fight with Insight, you know, we spoke earlier about if the child is not right with the one therapist you find the best one if if music art and drama aren't for the child and more physical activities then fight with insight offers incredible resources so would you say to start maybe start with the south african depression and anxiety group because they are nationwide if you are in johannesburg the children's memorial institute offers phenomenal services you can email its inquiries at cmi.org.za any other fabulous resources that, that um, where parents can just start in closing. I would like you to just mention what happens when there is a successful suicide because we're talking a lot about prevention now and I think maybe in closing because you know the, the difficulty is, is we're talking about you know prevention and adding meaning and when that doesn't work 
you know, that you live with the fact that, well, you know, I should have done more, which we discussed briefly, but what resources are available to parents, siblings, families where there has, there has been a successful suicide? There's very little available, um, sadly. There's the compassionate friends, they support um, parental bereavement, and then um, grandparents are, are welcome, as are siblings. But for other people who, where it's been a cousin or a partner or, you know, there's very, very little bereavement support in South Africa. So it's almost like the, the, the stigma of the death is that these people did something wrong or not enough of something. And as a result, they're not going to be helped, almost unconsciously. I'll have to think about that, but but yes, support for survivors of suicide um, is, if you're not a parent, is very thin on the ground. Thanks, Kate. As always, an absolute joy to speak to you, even if it's not about joyous topics. And uh, yes, we look forward to future engagements. Thank you Thank so much, Kate. Thank you.